Hey friends, welcome to another edition of our Long Gospel Devotional, a time each Tuesday in which we look at a passage from God's Word and try to decipher where we see God's two words in each and every part of the Scriptures. Usually we do that by looking at a text from the upcoming series of lectionary passages for the uh, following Sunday, and we're going to do that same thing Today, in case you don't know who I am, my name is Eric Sorensen. I'm a pastor at Hillside Church in Roxbury, New Jersey, as well as a contributor to 1517 in all sorts of ways. And I'm really happy to be with you here today, especially for the passage that we're going to be looking at. And so let's go ahead and pull that up now and dive in. But first, as we always do, before we dive into the actual passage, let's go ahead and look at the other passages surrounding this one in this upcoming Sunday's lectionary, which of course is the first Sunday of Pentecost. And if there's anything that sort of guides all the passages or unites all of them, it's all about the Spirit's work and specifically the Spirit's work of regeneration. Now, maybe some of you have kids and you've seen what uh, you've seen, the cartoon that I'm referencing in this slide, but this is, of course, from the great movie, one of my favorite animated movies of all time, The Iron Giant, and, of course, that is a film that really, in, in its culmination, is all about the ability to resurrect something that shouldn't be able to be resurrected. And there's a lot of that going on in our passages this weekend. So first, if you look at the Psalm, Psalm 139, one of the most famous Psalms, you can read things like in verse 7 that say, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? The idea is that God is sort of uh, like this uh, gigantic Sherlock Holmes that knows everything about us that we cannot hide even if we wanted to, as the rest of the Psalm will go on to say, and that it's his spirit that is able to do this searching work that knows us so intimately. We also have John 15, verses 26 and 27, and 16, 4b through 15, part of Jesus's upper room high priestly prayer in which he talks about what the Spirit will do. And if you could sum it up, he basically says, on the one hand, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. On the other hand, he will glorify me. And this is something that's very important to know about the Spirit's work. The Spirit is always, always, always pointing to Jesus. The Spirit is always working to point us to Christ and his work. And then you have, of course, the passage that this Sunday's sermon and this Sunday's lectionary is based around, which is the day of Pentecost. We can read in verse 4 of that passage from Acts chapter 2 all about it where we're told that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time going over that passage because I think you know it and you're probably going to hear a sermon all about it this Sunday if you attend a church that celebrates the different parts of the church calendar. But what we are going to look at is the Old Testament text. Now, usually... Usually, my good buddy Chad Bird is the man for the Old Testament, and in fact, I'm certain that he could do a much better job with what I'm going to talk to you about today than I can. But nevertheless, I checked with him before I decided on this passage. I said, if you're not going to go over Ezekiel 37 this week, I'd like to take a shot at it. He said, I'm not, and I'm happy to let you do it. And so we're going to look at one of my absolute favorite passages from all of the Old Testament about the Valley of the Dry Bones, found in Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. Of course, highly appropriate, as we'll read the story, 
as we think about what happens on the day of Pentecost in God's ability to bring new life to people. So, little context, uh, Ezekiel is a prophet from the priestly class of Judea. Uh, he is a prophet of law and gospel par excellence, folks. I mean, nearly 35 chapters of his book is basically dedicated to proclaiming judgment and pretty sternly followed by tremendous amounts of gospel in the remaining chapters as he proclaims uh, sweeping promises of God's mercy and forgiveness. And also, he prophesies to the people of God, just to give you a sense of the time frame, that had been taken in exile by the Babylonians in the 6th century. So he is prophesying to a group of people that have gone through quite a bit of dread and despair and have struggled. And part of what Ezekiel is there to do is to encourage them. And just for kicks, I suppose it also is worth mentioning that Ezekiel is also uh, quoted, inaccurately by the way, in Pulp Fiction, when Samuel L. Jackson at least claims to be quoting Ezekiel 25, 17. But that's not important for our purposes here. I just thought I'd mention it. All right, so let's dig in. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 3. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, a place of great death and destruction, obviously. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Now, it would seem, frankly, that the natural response would be, No, these bones can't live. I've never seen that. I've never seen bones suddenly get back together and recreate into life. And yet Ezekiel knows something about God that we often forget. And that is God is the God of the impossible. He is able to take that which is nothing and breathe new life into it. That's what he does at the creation in Genesis chapter one. And that's what he continues to do all throughout the rest of the scriptures. And indeed, even today, God is the one who takes fools and makes them into sons and over and over and over we can go. But, but, you know, when we see this, when we see death, as we saw in Avengers Infinity War, when, you know, the, the great dusting happens, it's natural for us to think there's no coming back from this. Indeed, if you were just to see that part of the last two films in the Avengers series, you would be left with a tremendous sense of despair and doom because death is so final. But Ezekiel knows all things are possible with God. And so what do we read in verse four? The word has the power to recreate. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. You shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. This is an interesting picture. So God's word clearly has the power to recreate. And yet, of course, 
the work isn't done. And it's, it's right here at this moment that I think we get a pretty accurate picture of all of humanity. This isn't only a picture of Judah as they are led off into exile and death and destruction is left in their wake. But in fact, this is a picture of all of humanity apart from Christ. As Ephesians 2 verse 1 clearly says to all people, you were or are dead in trespasses and sins. Not unconscious, not not wounded badly, but in fact dead in trespasses and sins and Dead people cannot make themselves come back to life. Dead people cannot do anything to affect their condition. And yet that is the word that scripture uses to describe our plight as sinners apart from Jesus. So the work of regeneration is not done yet. There must be a mighty wind that comes in to make things what they're meant to be. Verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath now, that word breath in Hebrew is ruach, and the word can be used sometimes to be, it's sometimes translated breath, sometimes wind, and most importantly for our purposes here, spirit. Spirit. They're used synonymously and interchangeably. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, say to the spirit, thus says the Lord God, from, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them and stood on their feet, and, it, and, and, and they, they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Well, now the work of regeneration is complete because the Spirit brings life. The breath of the Lord breathes life. There really is a lot of connections in this passage with what we read in the very beginning in Genesis, where we see the spirit of God hovering over sort of the chaos. And then God speaks and the spirit in conjunction with the word coming from the mouth of God creates all things ex nihilo, out of nothing. And so the question I want to ask is how and why does God bring new life? Well, well, God brings new life very explicitly in this passage, but this is a biblical theme everywhere through his word, by the power of the Spirit. And, and there's three ways that we see this word really displayed in Ezekiel's prophecy. In Ezekiel 36, you're going to see the water word displayed. Verse 25 puts it this way, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. That is a clear reference, maybe the clearest reference in all of the Old Testament to what God does in baptism, what we call the water word. It is not just water. It is the word and the water in conjunction, powered by the Holy Spirit that is able to bring new life. You have, of course, the preached word, which is on display in our passage today in Ezekiel 37, as Ezekiel prophesies and stuff happens. And then you actually have an allusion to the Lord's Supper or the bread and wine word found in Ezekiel 45 verses 1 through 25. Someday I'll go over that passage with you and show you what I mean, but you can look it up and for now anyway, take my word for it. But the word and the sacraments are all in here in Ezekiel as God promises to bring about a new covenant, a new way of living, a new way of life, indeed rescue from their death. 
And why does it happen? Well, because God is a gracious God. Indeed, as God begins to talk about how he's going to reverse the children of Israel's fortunes, he says in chapter 36, verse 22, he wants to make it abundantly clear, it is not for your sake I'm doing this. And what he means by that is, you didn't do anything to deserve what I'm going to do for you. It's just going to be for the greatness of my name. I'm going to display such grace that people are going to revel in it. That's the big idea for why God brings new life. And so the question is, as we're going through this, I always like to ask, who's doing the verbs? Who is doing the verbs? Well, look at verses 11 through 14. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. I love that phrase. I have spoken and I will do it. You can take it to the bank, declares the Lord. I love this whole juxtaposition here. You have the people in despair, believing that their sins have permanently cut them off from the grace of God. Indeed, there's going to be times in our lives as Christians where we might be prone to thinking the same thing. When we go through really hard stuff, when we even go into things like drought or despair or exile like the children of Israel did, it's tempting to think maybe this is evidence that God is against me. And it's so, so important when we're going through those seasons of drought and despair to remember words like this, no. No matter how bad you've been, no matter how far apart it you have felt from God, the truth is God is still in the business of bringing you back to life. God is still in the business of regenerating. And that's great news for how we look at the world because that means that no one we come across is ever too far gone. No one. We can take that to the bank. God has spoken and he will do it. He has the power to bring regeneration and new life. And so as we come to the conclusion of our devotion together, what we really see is this great reversal. We see that which was dead, like Peter Parker in the earlier picture in Avengers Infinity War, turned back into new life as we see in Avengers Endgame. We see all of that which seemed impossible to bring back being brought back. And indeed, when we think about how this relates to us, we have to, we, we can't help but imagine what it, or remember what it says in Ephesians 2, because Ezekiel's process described to Judah is ultimately fulfilled in us. Look at what it says in Ephesians 2, probably very familiar to you, but it's always good to remember it again. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trans trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, why did he do it? Why is he doing this? 
he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He saved you so that he could just lavish on you more grace. That's what he says. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Not a single one of those skeletons in that valley of dry bones, after they came back to life, thought, man, I'm pretty special. Look what I did. Absolutely not. They were utterly aware that they didn't do it, that God did all the verbs. Indeed, that is true for us as well. As we wrap up Ephesians 2, we're reminded, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And again, it's even God who set that up, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is doing the verbs of regeneration. This is divine monergism on blast. God alone doing the saving, the regenerating, the renewing. And so what we see in this passage is a clear example of law and gospel. The law describes our condition as being dreadful and seemingly hopeless. We're like a valley of dry bones that has no chance of regenerating ourselves. But we also see the gospel powered by the spirit through the word, bringing the solution so that God can proclaim to us and to everyone that the problem has been solved, that God is in the business of bringing new life to all. So, folks, I hope that is encouraging to you on your Tuesday and throughout the week. I pray God's richest blessings on you, and I look forward to seeing you again next week.